Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Miss Marshall White on the ninth floor. Specialties department, looking for a gold thimble. The odds are that you'll find it. But there are even better odds that you'll find something else. Because this isn't just a department store. This happens to be the Twilight Zone. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. It's been a pretty long time, but we are back, and we'll touch on that here in a minute. I'm your host, Jimbo, and once again, I'm joined by my good friend and colleague... ADZ, here ADZ in the house. in the, in southern, the studio. Yeah, in the southern lair. <laughs> southern lair. <laughs> so, ADZ, uh, people know we've been off for a while now uh, due to several different things. There's been some sicknesses, there's been some surgeries, there's been a lot of different vacations. So, why don't you go ahead and give everybody a little update of what's been going on in your part of the fifth dimension yeah it's uh it's been a pretty good summer uh some good uh time off got to travel uh, to south carolina for a week and had a little car trouble getting back that was kind of <laughs> i remember fun. that when he was bad uh, yeah, had to stay an extra <laughs> night on the road uh then like you said yeah my daughter had um, knee surgery so i spent most of the summer going back and forth to physical therapy so that hasn't been so much fun but uh, she's doing better and back in school. Everything's uh, going well. How about yourself? You had an exciting summer? Yeah, just worked all the time. I mean, that's, that's how terrible it's been. But, yeah. uh, man, it's been hot around here. So, But enough about that. Um, we're glad to be back. Hopefully we don't see any more uh, layovers, layoffs. Uh, yeah, I think the last... Post-stopping uh, production of the, the podcast. I think the last time I was in the Southern Layer was uh, back in April, maybe. We did a couple episodes, so it's good right, to be back. It's been a long and, time. Yeah. So... All right, so we are up all the way. We are almost done. We are down the home stretch of season one. We are. Finally. Um, this is episode 34, uh, The After Hours. So, Eric, why don't you go ahead and take it away? Okay. The After Hours. This is the Twilight Zone season one. This is episode number 34. Um, this was directed by Douglas Hayes and written by Rod Serling. And the featured music is by Bernard Harriman. Um, 
and it's it I have a notation here it says it's from where is everybody so maybe some of the same musical score was used in the uh, the original episode number one uh, the original air date for this episode was June the 10th 1960 and the total production cost for this uh, episode was forty five thousand six hundred eighty five dollars and twenty one cents which when it is adjusted for today's dollars for inflation is about an eight hundred nine percent increase and the total comes out to four hundred and fifteen thousand four hundred and eighty five dollars sorry four hundred and fifteen thousand four hundred and eighty dollars and seventy five cents. So obviously they're uh, a big jump with inflation. And uh, Jimbo, you want to take the cast next? Sure, we'll go ahead and jump in right into the cast. You had Anne Francis um, played Marsha White, who is the main female lady. Uh, you might remember, Eric, um, from the movie Forbidden Planet, where she played Altera Morbius. And yes. I know you watched that. Yes, and we did a podcast on it, I think, because uh, Art Toast gave me some grief about uh, my review of the movie he said i was too harsh on it he's like how could you not like forbidden planet right. yeah i respect what it was for the the time and place and it, it, you know it's a great historical sci-fi movie but yeah just good old art toast yeah. never never a dull moment with my dad <laughs> yeah. is there uh then you also had elizabeth allen as the saleswoman um you may have seen her in the alfred hitchcock hour she was also in john wayne's donovan reef um so she played uh, like mrs dead dead ham in there so uh, you had James Milholland as Mr. Armbruster, and he is famous for, if you've ever seen The Ghost of Mr. Chicken. Oh, yes. Uh, the famous Don Knotts movie where he played Mr. Milo Maxwell. Okay. You had John Conwell as the elevator man, which he was pretty funny in this episode, too. Uh, Patrick White as Mr. Sloan, and Nancy Rennick as Mrs. Keevers. A lot of these cast members I, I saw in their uh, biography of movies, their, their list of movies, that a lot of them were in The Fugitive, the TV show. Okay. So they got a lot of, I think there was three actors or actresses from The uh, Fugitive TV show, so you may have seen some of them in there. Good deal. So Eric, you want to go ahead and let's start talking about the, the episode? Sure. I'll just, just by way of tech specs, I'll run through those again as we normally do. It's all basically the same, a 25-minute runtime. It's a mono Westrex recording system. And it's black and white, of course, and uh, 35 millimeter spherical. So uh, we're sticking with the the same old, same old, so to speak, as far as the tech specs go. Um, just briefly, I will also give you the plot while I'm on on topic here. Uh, Marsha White is looking for a gold thimble as a gift for her mother. She can't find it anywhere in the store, and an elevator operator suggests that she try the ninth floor. She arrives there to find it abandoned, but the sales clerk suddenly appears and and has it has exactly what she's looking for. On the way back down to the main floor, she realizes the thimble she bought is scratched and goes to complaints uh, to the complaints department, where she is told there is no ninth floor in the building. She is shocked, however, to see a mannequin that looks just like the woman who served her. A return to the absent floor reveals the explanation to her dilemma. This is, by way, it's a pretty good twist in this uh, particular episode. And it's really, it's got a really dark, scary tone. It's one of those ones, you you know, when you watch as a kid, you know, at night in your house in the dark. And, you know, it was really suspenseful and scary. Right. So, but before we get uh, too much further, can I just say that, I'm not a fan of this because the uh, intro, the intro was changed uh, for the next three episodes, the intro oh, to yes. the Twilight yep, Zone. Yep. 
Uh, so this one's different, and it caught me off guard, and I just don't like it. I like the ones before this better, so I just wanted to throw that in there before we went too far. So you're not a fan of the seeing eye? The seeing eye, yeah, called. I know. Give me the strolls and yeah. the doors and all that stuff. So Yeah. So we opened the episode... Uh, with Marsha, well, uh, the storefront, and then we go with the camera pans inside, and then we go inside, and we see Marsha standing at the uh, the counter. I don't know if it was like a perfume counter, and she's kind of perplexed about uh, a gift that she wants to buy. I think it ends up being for her mom, right? The the, the thimble gift she lands saying. on ends up being for her mom. But, and the lady asks her, it was really funny, like, she asked her the question, like, can I show you something? And she was like, no, that's not what I'm looking for, like... And that wasn't what she was asking, but she automatically, you know, Marsha comes back with, no, that's not what I want. Right. Like, we're like, okay. And she's kind of confused. But um, then the episode moves um, to the elevator, right? And then uh, she gets on an elevator all by herself. And the this is the days of the old-timey uh, elevator operators and stuff and where someone actually physically manned the operator. Right. And, or elevator, um, sorry. The, when she says that's not what I'm looking for, but when she doesn't, she asks somebody where she can find something, or she asks the elevator guy where she can find something. He's like, "Oh, you want something on the ninth floor?" Yeah, I think goods and services or something on the ninth floor. Yeah, I don't I think. know if she asks him or I can't remember or not, but you know, she just sort of gets on the elevator. He's motions her in, and then of course she goes up to the ninth floor. And it's interesting that the camera pans onto the the number board above the elevator and there is no ninth floor. But did you notice that? It went all the way to the top. After 8, there was an R which stood right. for roof, roof back in right. the day. But if there was no ninth floor, why did it go all the way up to the R then? It's a so she would, But she should be on the roof then. It's the Twilight Zone, man. <laughs> so would you say the elevator is the dimension to the the, uh, Ooh, the doorway to the fifth dimension? Insight. That's a good insight. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so when she gets off the elevator, it's just, uh, it looks like another floor, but it, all the cases, the glass cases, display cases are all like empty and, um, kind of dark in there. Yeah, she's up there by herself and, um, yeah, she sort of wanders around for a moment until the, the sales lady appears and, um, she's like, was somebody helping you? Right. You know, and she's like. And, uh, this just has an, you know, if you were just watching this cold, it has sort of an it's sort of an uneasy feeling. You don't know what's going to happen. It has sort of a dark overtone, and the suspense is really sort of building. Right, and, and you're wondering why this lady's up there. There's nothing up here to show you, right. and why is this lady up here, a sales lady up here in the dark, you know, with nothing in the in the cases? Um, yeah, and then it gets more and more more strange because she takes her to a glass case that only has one item in it, and she lights up the backlighting. And it's a gold thimble, which just happens to be exactly what Marsha is looking for. And, uh, you know, Marsha makes a comment later, you know, this is not a really uh, efficient way to do business. You know, you only you know, have stock of one item on a whole floor. And she makes a comment similar to that. Um, so she pulls out the thimble and it's exactly what she wants. And uh, she decides that she's going to pay with cash because the lady asks her, will it be a charge? She says, no. I'll pay with cash, and it's like twenty three and some change, twenty five dollars even with tax. She takes out the the twenty and the five dollar bill out of her wallet, and doesn't get a receipt, and uh, starts to walk away. And then, uh, well, she starts to walk away because she starts to walk off and not pay for it. <laughs> yeah. and the sales lady tells her to come back and you know pay for it. Yeah, she, the Marcia here, she's kind of like 
she's kind of out of it. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, you can tell she's something's off, disturbed a little bit. Like she's she can't tell what is quite off, but something just doesn't seem right. And then the sales lady, as she sort of walks away, calls her by name, which that that intensifies it. Right. And then Marsha almost gets almost like belligerent, like and and upset and angry. Like, how do you know my name? And the lady says, Oh, I. I know you from somewhere, and she's like, "Well, I've never seen you ever." And uh, you know, they they go on and have a little dialogue. Yeah, she's like, "I've probably seen you around the store." And she's like, "No, you haven't." Yeah, I've never seen you. So, at this point, her suspicions are greatly raised, and then she ends up back after this, just to kind of move us along a little bit. She ends up back on the elevator, and she notices that the thimble has a scratch on it. Nice gold thimble, and you know it has a scratch. And she tries to tell the the elevator operator. He's just like, I don't know, complaints level three or <laughs> yeah. level four, whatever it is. He's like, and she's just sticking it in his face, almost like, Hey, look at this. This is scratched. I can't, I can't do anything with this. And he's like, I don't want what you want me to do, lady. It's, <laughs> yeah, um, you know. And this and guy, I, think, I mean, he just looks so bored. Like, wasn't he one of the three? And we'll probably get to this in the trivia section. But there were three molds, right, made in the faces, right. And then they were sort of put on the mannequin. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, but you're, you're getting he, he was one of the three people. I'll just leave it at that. We'll get to it in a moment, the, the great reveal. But most of you have probably already seen it if you're here. But um, So she's complaining. He drops her off at the complaints, which is I think is like floor three or four. And then she, the, the camera doesn't show this. But the, she has a dialogue with the Mr. Armbruster, but we end up in Mr. Sloan, the office manager, the manager of the store. And we end up in his office. And I think the guy that played Armbruster is pretty good. He's I mean, pretty he, funny. Yeah, yeah he kind of he's, he's, has a comedic type um, quality to him, and his facial expressions are great. And, uh, yeah, he played that part um, to a T, and he's got like, a lot of great one-liners. Um, so he, he tries to basically describe to the the store manager the problem that he's having with Marsha and that you know I told her to take it back to the floor where she got it and so it she just, got it on the ninth floor exactly. and he's like there is no ninth floor and and he says well I've tried to you know explain that to her but without any success and there's some funny dialogue there and so the the manager decides he's going to go out and you know he's going to handle it directly with Marsha and, and <laughs> Uh, it's just it's just a funny exchange right here, um, and so what happens next? I think she's out in the the lobby. Yeah, he goes out to the lobby. Oh yeah, and then so Marsha's describing the whole situation and how she bought it, and and you know it's just kind of the same thing. Like I, she explains to how she explained to Mr. Armbruster that I bought on the ninth floor. There there is no ninth floor. Blah 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 kind of rehashes that all again and then she goes there's the woman that sold it to me right over there right and then this is the big reveal yeah she turns around uh, and uh, somebody's uh, turning around a mannequin and it is the sales lady woman. the saleswoman yeah. uh, dressed exactly like she was on the ninth floor and this causes Marsha to faint I do believe yep so uh, she's like oh there's the lady she can help me and then the look of fright in her eyes and, and when she realizes She's not real, <laughs> you know. Like, yeah, that she she really played that really well, and um, so we come to the next scene where Mr. Armbruster is talking to another floor sales lady, 
and he tells I think her name is Mrs. Pettigrew and he tells her like like we gotta get rid of this lady again. I, I want her to take a one way bus ticket anywhere you know west of Cleveland or Honolulu or something. He has like a funny line right there. He's like just get her out of here. So he kind of pawns her off onto one of the other sales ladies, and you know t- they end up putting her in an office right to lay on a couch, and then it's about closing time. And which is funny too because o'clock. if it's well not only that but if it's closing time and she's in there laying on sleep wouldn't you think whoever's that, closing up the thing would be like that was my whole point like, <laughs> how did person, they miss her why is this person in my office right. you know what how I mean they, yeah how did they miss her laying on this literally couch. five minutes ago you put her in the office and then you know it's five minutes to six and then all of a sudden everybody in the whole place I was trying to see the time of that clock there. when it showed right here at the beginning of this uh, cutscene because uh-huh. it showed six o'clock there but then it showed the clock again I I'm thinking I think it said nine o'clock I think it was Six thirty, was it six thirty ish? Yeah, well, she all... actually wakes up from her nap or whatever. yeah. I was just trying to see real quick just to make and sure. And she's all in the the office. She's all alone and she's really freaked Scared. out now yeah. because she's locked in the uh, the department store and there's no way for her to get out. She screams for help, I think, uh, for a moment, and then she doesn't she pick up the phone at some point and try to call out to get somebody to to come and get her and it's kind of funny she she looked there's mannequins all I never noticed this before but there's mannequins all around all in that around room mm-hmm. which I never really noticed that before which you would kind of wonder what kind of office she was in if she walks through that little doorway and then there's all these mannequins mm-hmm. but it, it looks like it goes right out to the main floor of the mm-hmm. uh, department store yeah so she's she's all alone and um, she really starts to get freaked out she tries the elevator she tries the exit doors I think she even at one point she tries to pick up the phone and she's screaming kind of for help. And uh, but it is very creepy seeing all those yeah, mannequins this, this and the is, shadows in the background yeah. of like in the windows you can see the silhouettes. And she's starting to panic. She's like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then she starts hearing whispers like her name, Marsha, Marsha. Yep, yep. <laughs> she just knocks over the sailor mannequin like. <laughs> Which the sailor here is the is the man from the elevator. He's the elevator operator, but he's you know he's. He's got a similar uniform on, but it's a sailor's uniform. And uh, like I said, or mentioned earlier, he's one of the three um, people that they actually made a mold of their face. Right. Uh, unlike, uh, what was it, Elegy, where all the people were trying to stand really still, but on close-up shots you could tell that people were moving. Just because it's natural, you're right. going to have natural human movement. They decided to do something a little bit differently in this episode where they made actual molds of their face and then painted them on real mannequins to make them, mm-hmm. you know, really still. So they're all calling her name, Marsha. It's going to the different mannequins and all that. And then um, doesn't she go over to one of the guys, the, the mannequin's arm kind of comes up a little bit, Yeah, I think, and it scares her. And then she goes to the phone. And then um, if, we, if we fast forward a little bit, I mean, it, the, again, the intensity is just building and building and building and building. And then she ends up back in the elevator and then the elevator takes her to the ninth, the ninth floor. floor again, and she sees the mannequin. She's confronted right outside the door with a mannequin sales lady, and she just this is a really great she acting. Cowers she, in the she, corner. I mean, you, yeah, you really feel the the weight of, and it doesn't seem like it's like over the top or anything. I mean, it seems really genuine in her. And the sales lady's like. Marsha, you're acting like a silly little girl. And that's, exactly, know, and that's like, a really good description because that's exactly how she was acting at that moment, like a scared, right? frightened little girl. I mean, I don't blame her. So she takes her off onto the elevator, off onto the ninth floor, and it's dark, it's creepy, and she's just leading her hand in hand, you know, two hands, and she's like, 
Marsha, there, there, it'll be okay, you know, Patner, and she's really scared, you can tell. But then the mannequins here, dude, it's just really creepy. I yeah, mean, they all sort of come to life. And they all just start stepping their off poses. their pedestals, yeah. Very well done. Yeah. And then the, the camera's kind of up high, too, to where you can kind of see them all, and it kind of pans across but the room. Do you know why? Because no, this no. was actually a large studio set that was made for... Uh, newspaper uh, newsroom. Okay. And uh, where they print newspapers. And so they had this big set already made for this movie. And so oh. they had to convert it from the newspaper thing to the department store, but it was big enough where the camera could move could about move freely. Yeah. And that's why you see a lot of her foot movement throughout this episode and everything. So they had enough room to move the camera. The camera's almost always moving in this episode, oh. which is different than some of the other Twilight Zones. Okay. Yeah, the dude in the ski mask is kind of freaky. <laughs> when they pan, when they pan I thought it was a Lucha man. Libre wrestler, <laughs> professional wrestler. Yeah, it, it, yeah, that was really great camera work too. Just you know, you know, moving from person to person in the up high camera. That, that's interesting. I didn't know that uh, that little tidbit of trivia. That's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, and, and then the saleswoman. I don't think her name is never given, but she's just called the saleswoman. She, she. You know, sort of trying to jog Marsha's memory. Do you know where you're at? You know, yeah. is it coming back to you? Yeah. Yet? And kind of, <laughs> kind of scolds her a little bit, like you're late coming back. We yeah. each get one month. She, she says, says to and my day started world. yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> I'm already one day late. Exactly, I'm late to get to the human world. And Marsha tries to kind of apologize and explain. It's like, well, when you get there. You really start to believe that you're a real human, and yeah, this is know. where she realizes, oh, I'm a mannequin. Yeah, it's all coming back. Now. Yeah, so that's the great twist is that uh, everyone, the saleswoman and Marsha herself and others, the the elevator operator, they're all mannequins. And I guess in the mannequin world, you get one day off, or sorry, one month off, and take turns and rotate around so you can go enjoy the outside world. Right now. Um, so basically, you know, this is really cool here at the end. I thought I thought this was one of the best shots they've ever done is when um, they're all waving to the one lady, bye, bye. And this Marsha's sitting there talking, I believe it's with the uh, elevator guy. Oh, yeah, and her arms start and, to come and, up. And, 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 and he comes over and he's talking to her, and, and she's, she's like, yeah, you just don't understand, you know, when you're out there. And her arms are coming up like this, and then they freeze mm-hmm. perfectly how the mannequins are. And I mm-hmm. thought she did a really good job right there. Yeah, that was a cool shot. <laughs> it's just she's kind of sad you know what I mean like, yeah that she has to go go back to being a mannequin it's a little a touch of sadness there then you have what's his head again and arm Brewster on the following scene is okay see he's the uh, the elevator guy's out there at the steering wheel right yeah, there like a so, sailor right so who's running the elevators today I don't know it's a good question is that part of your... Well, I, no, I just didn't know if the elevator no. guy and that guy was the same person. I think they, they look the same. Right. I'm pretty sure they are the same person. Um, but, yeah, Arm Brewster is going around. It's about opening <laughs> yeah. time, 9 a.m. the next day. And then his facial expression when he walks and he looks over his shoulder and he sees Marsha as the mannequin. Yeah, his the face. centerpiece mannequin. It's, look at his face, it, man. It's just like... It's great. Ah, uh, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> He's he like, can't get yeah. rid of her. He's like, whatever. Yeah, he can't get rid of her. She's, uh, a, she's a mannequin. She's a real customer one day and a mannequin the next. And they look really good. The mannequins yeah, look really good. Yeah, they did a good, really good so. job. And I I have, well, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the trivia, but um, Anne Francis said she still kept the bust from the, the, the facial mold from the mannequin. She still kept it. Yeah, they were until, called death mask. Yeah, until the day that she died. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty interesting. But sorry to jump ahead. No, that's good. That was all part of the... 
the episode right there. But yeah, the the, the mannequins look really lifelike, um, all the way down to the like the uh, beauty mark on her on her yeah. chin. Yeah, um, very very attention to detail. Um, yeah, that she kept the the death mask. It was actually a plaster which made directly from her face and carefully painted to look like the actress standing there completely motionless. I mean, you look at that. You've got it froze right there. I mean, that's that's pretty good, man. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, they, the, uh, I don't know if they're a makeup artist or an actual artist, whoever. Um, I know in the book that I read, um, Anne Francis, again, gives the lady that made those molds a lot of praise, too. Like, mm-hmm. she, they did an outstanding job. So, yeah, that's a that's a real highlight. I'm, I'm sure it was probably an expensive what do you think of the remake? I know you got. It I did watch notes. some of the remake. How it's in an I, '80s mall. I watched about ten minutes in, and I was just like, "This is." I gave up on it. Did you watch it all the way through? No, no. But uh, but I heard that she wants to remain human in that one instead okay. of turning back into a mannequin. Okay. So, I mean um, that kind of that kind of ending would sort of maybe make sense. Um, that that the fact that Marsh was so willing to go back and be a mannequin and really didn't fight it at all uh you know I, maybe that would have been cool to see that play out a little bit more but yeah I, I thought the i think the original is still far superior to the at least from what i saw and i guess i have to be truthful in the fact that i didn't watch it all the way through but right um usually the remakes aren't as good something i don't opinion. know if you caught but when she first enters the store at the beginning of the uh thing um there is a several display counters on one of the display counters, there is a basket, which is very similar to the one Nan Adams carries throughout the episode in The Hitchhiker. Okay. So I thought that was a nice little callback. Maybe they used some uh, props, you know, leftover props and just... Was it of, like a picnic basket type thing? I yeah, didn't notice it. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you have a chance, you might want to go back and look at that. Okay. Um, and like I said, the department store was actually made from an old set from some feature picture that had a huge newspaper office. So they had plenty of space to move around, and the camera could easily remain in motion and get long shots at a time. Eric, anything else? Yeah, I got a few, a little trivia here, uh, a few points. Um, and then, let me just scroll up here. Yeah, Serling's virgin story of the mannequins coming to life in a department store after hours was critically taken apart by a couple of critics, I, I guess, back in the day, of trade columns. Um and they, I guess they kind of accused him of uh, plagiarism, which that probably happened quite a lot as uh, as I'm reading through this. Uh, he was accused of plagiarism quite a bit. And they accused him of plagiarizing a uh, story, a short story called Evening Primrose, and it was written by John Collier. It's told of a story of a woman who went into a department store and became one of the night people, in quotes. And a society of humans had decided to live in the twilight zone of locked-up stores. So Serling may have been exposed to the story from a dramatization on the radio program Escape, which features and featured an adaptation of Collier's story from November 5th, 1947. So whether that resided in his subconscious or not is yet to be seen. But, uh, but then there was a guy named Frank Gruber, and I'll just sort of summarize this. He claims that Serling um, plagiarized a story called, actually it was a teleplay called The 13th Floor. And Gruber, he actually went on, he went to social gatherings and he spread the word that Rod Serling, Serling was a plagiarist uh, towards him. And he reached out to Serling and Serling was forced to, defo- to you know, basically defend himself at a brief meeting at the Writers Guild 
and he explained that Gruber's script was different from Serling, the after hours, except for a few, uh, the first few pages in which someone entered a department store and ends up on a non-existing 13th floor. The rest of the script was completely different. So that was Serling's sort of explanation, like, yeah, the beginning is somewhat similar until we get into the elevator, and then after that, the stories are completely different. So um, Serling submitted a copy of the After Hours script to Gruber, uh, confident that the famed writer would note beyond the passing similarity of the use of the non-existent floor in the department store, and the two stories were miles apart in terms of mood, character, plot development, and upon reading the enclosed um, if you're not satisfied, this is Serling speaking, he says, I do not think uh, we should either sit down and discuss, we should either sit down and discuss this as two honorable men or in the words of the prophet, um, put your money where your mouth is and secure a lawyer to make accusations in a courtroom. Right. Uh, but you got to remember, Serling, um, he would pay a lot for like short stories right. and all that. So if he would have, if it would have been similar, I'm sure he wouldn't have mind. You know, giving some money. Um, We've seen him do that several times in season one already. So yeah, so him and this Gruber guy, I guess, came to a head. And then the the end of the story was that nothing ever came of it. Gruber got his memo or whatever, and then he just decided, I guess, to kind of let it go. Uh, Another fun fact is TV Guide featured a photo spread for this episode about a week before the broadcast with Anne Francis posing in front of uh, her plastic duplicate. While the caption re, uh, read, Anne Francis helps manipulate the imagination this Friday, uh, the editors of the magazine carelessly gave away the solution to the mystery, remarking Miss <laughs> Francis plays a mannequin who comes to life in the CBS Twilight Zone. Oh, that'd that, be terrible. <laughs> it? So this obviously upset Houghton and Serling, and for future episodes, they required that the ending be concealed, and Houghton would make sure a, a memo accompanied the press releases and photos reminding the editors of the periodicals not to reveal the surprise ending. And um, the next note I just have, of uh, we already talked about Anne Francis and the mannequin and her praise of the um, of the people, the, the makeup people. And then this was a quote from her. It says, looking back on those years, I would say that I get more fan mail related to the Twilight Zone than any Thing else I've done, including Hunting West and Forbidden Planet. So Anne Francis uh, was really remembered fondly for this uh, particular episode. Um, you got anything else? It's it's a great episode. It really is. Yeah. It's probably in the upper echelon of the season one. Um, after some of those does we've done pretty much recently and to come. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed this one. This is one that, that I remember seeing when I was a kid and it stuck with me um, all these years. So, uh, yeah, very good episode. Good acting. Uh, good use of the shading and lighting. Very, very well done. Yeah, I just have a few notes of, about Anne Francis as far as a biopic. Um, she was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2007 despite quitting smoking nearly 20 years earlier. Wow. She immediately underwent chemotherapy in February of 2008 and underwent surgery to remove her uh, upper lobe of her right lung. And then she actually passed away 35 days after her Forbidden Planet co-star, uh, Leslie Nielsen. Mm. So they were uh, they passed so away only 35 days uh, apart. Uh, she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame uh, at 1611 Vine Street in Hollywood, California on February 8th, 1960. So she got her star pretty early. And she was a longtime rodeo fan, and she rode for rodeos and directed uh, actually a short subject film called Gemini Rising in 1968. I've never no never seen that movie, but it must have been about uh, rodeo and riding and so forth. But any uh, 
questions or ob- any other observations you want to? No, I just think out? it was a very well well done episode. Yeah, um, I I think it was well when we come to our, our wrap up episode, it was a, it was a top ten episode for me. I think it might have even been a top five episode. Um, well, look at this guy. Sus- this guy's already breaking. <laughs> yeah, the suspense and the building of it, and um, yeah. I, I just still think it's crazy that how they forgot about her in the, in the office. Yeah, that, that that was one of the observations. I was like, "Wow, how could they? This this woman has caused so much trouble during the day, and then yeah. they just forgot especially about." Especially when you know you have Arm Brewster and the, and Sloan in there, yeah. and they're just well, I don't know. I, I don't want to get maybe they just she were, she fi- did she disappear? <laughs> yeah, maybe they were just so eager to get rid of her that when they didn't out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, when she wasn't there, they were like, "Oh, okay, well." Yeah, well, maybe they just yeah. totally forgot, but she was in somebody's office or whatever. Right. That's the part that I didn't understand. So yeah. And then well, uh, one other thing that uh, Rod Rod kind of brings up, he says he's he asks the question, just how normal are we? Just who are the people we nod our hellos to on the street? I thought that was right. I was reading that uh, earlier in the in the book I have. Yeah, I thought like, that was he's like, are people that you're passing really who they are? You, yeah. you know, you are passing. So it makes you think. Oh, well, we walk by aliens every day. Aliens, <laughs> mannequins, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't have much of a postscript either, other than that it was, yeah, it was one of the best of season one. It's very well done. You know, it's up there with the the Willoughbys and the. Well, let, enough let's not get crazy. Oh, <laughs> well, we will have some discussion about this on our wrap up show, uh, which we hopefully will record later today. Yep. But. Uh, We'll, we'll get there. So Yeah, with that, I'm, I'm good on yeah. my end. You got so, anything uh, else? No, I think that's a wrap on this episode. So stay tuned for episode 35 where we discuss the mighty Casey. Oh, boy. <laughs> I can't, can't wait. I've been wait. waiting to get to this one. All right. Well, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. Eric, take it away. And cut. Marsha White in her normal and natural state. A wooden lady with a painted face who, one month out of the year, takes on the characteristics of someone as normal and as flesh and blood as you and I. But it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Just how normal are we? Just who are the people we nod our hellos to as we pass on the street? A rather good question to ask, particularly in the Twilight Zone. <laughs>